Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. A number of years back in Kansas, I found myself with a team of individuals And there was one person that I didn't want on my team. This individual wasn't a bad individual. In fact, he was a lot of fun. Everybody liked him. I liked him. But when it came to getting work done, he was a lot of fun. So he would come to our he would come to our meetings usually late with a big grin on his face and some humorous story. And so we may have been going for 10 minutes, getting ourselves focused on the task in hand. And then he would come in with his big grin and his humorous story, and everybody would so enjoy that, except me. I mean, I would smile too, but I'd say, we were just getting rolling. Because, see, he was about fun, and I was about productivity. And so this team was together, and the longer that the team met, the less I desired to go or to have this individual on my team. And here was the problem with that. I felt guilty about that. Because why can't I work with this guy? Why can't I get along with this man? Why can't I lead him properly. I prayed about it. I tried to adjust my style. I tried to be less, um, you know, focused on tasks, but we had a task that we needed to accomplish. And I would go home and I'd pray about it. And I think, Lord, I am, I'm failing you. I'm failing. What can I do about it? Also back in Kansas, I was having a conversation with a lady that I will call Maxine, not her real name. And we were talking one day, and she began to share about a family member, a family member that she worked really hard to get along with, but this family member and their spouse just were were difficult. But Maxine knew that they needed the Lord, and Maxine didn't want to be a stumbling block in any way for them finding the Lord, and getting a relationship with the Lord. So Maxine bent over backwards to accommodate them, to do things that they would like. And everything she did, it never seemed to work for her. For the individual still seemed to be uh, dislike her. They uh, were talking behind her back about her to other family members. Oh, they, they liked her well enough when they needed money or they needed somebody to watch their children for the weekend. But other than that, Maxine could never break through with these individuals. And here's what took place with Maxine. She was saying, Pastor Rick, I I don't know what's wrong with me. There's got to be something wrong with me because I just can't get along with them. Every time that we get together, it seems that we are in conflict. What is wrong with me? She said, I feel guilty. Not only do I feel guilty, I pray, but it just isn't working. And so today I want to address situations like Maxine had, 
like I had. And I want to give some insights based on my years of walking with Jesus and my years of pastoral ministry. And so I'm going to share insights on how to get along with everyone. Now, Christy, when she made the graphic, uh, made it with all of these dogs because it seems that dogs can get along with everyone, right? So maybe there's something we can learn from dogs. Well, actually, we're going to see what we can learn from the scriptures, but uh, I happen to think that she did an awesome job with the graphics, so I wanted to point that out to you. So here are my insights as to how we can get along with everyone. First of all, here's, and this is in your notes, but if you don't have notes, it'll be on the screen. There is a myth that can get into our hearts. There is a myth. A myth is something we believe to be true, we think is true, but is not necessarily true. And there is a myth that can get into the hearts of us who are believers. Here's the myth. As a Christian, I ought to get along with everybody, be liked by everybody, and there should never be any conflict between me and someone else, especially another believer. Folks, that's a myth. And hopefully as we get on through this message, I will dispel this myth and show you what the scripture does say. See, it often happens that when we seek to love people the way that Jesus did, that sometimes we assume that if we would love this way, we should be able to get along with everybody. And if we don't get along with everyone, especially other believers, there must be something wrong with me. See, that's why I felt guilty that I couldn't get around with this team member who was also another believer. This was a, this was a church um, a ministry team, and I just couldn't get along with him. Uh, and I, I felt guilty. And that's how Maxine felt, guilty. Because she knew that she must not be living the way that Jesus wanted her to, because if she was then things would be good for these family members or good with these family members, and they weren't because both of us, without realizing it, had bought into this that is a myth. This whole concept of this myth actually came out of <coughs> me walking through some of this myself. What I'm teaching you is what I have learned and what I have walked through. So just to start things right now, there is a myth that can get into our hearts that as a Christian... I ought to be able to get along with everybody, be liked by everybody, and there should never be any conflict between me and someone else, especially another believer. So, here we go. How can I get along with everyone? That's the question of the hour. How can I get along with everyone? Here comes the answer in your notes. I can't, and that's okay with God. How can you get along with everyone? You can't, and it's okay. With God. The title was a little bit of a come on. How can I get along with everyone? And then they give you the answer. You can't. And it's okay with God. And you're saying, oh, is it really? Well, here's the rest of that. How can I get along with everyone? I can't, and that's okay with God. If I have done what I can and what love requires, I can't. And that's okay with God if I have done what I can and what love requires. So it's not that you don't have to do anything, but you have to do what you can and what love requires. Because conflicts, misunderstandings, and agreements happen. They're a part of life. 
They're a part of life outside the body of Christ. They're a part of life between Christians and non-believers. And they're even a part of life between Christians. <clears throat> now, today's message, I just I, this is a little disclaimer. Today's message is not to give anyone permission to cut people off or to be a jerk. See, some of you need no trouble being that. You need no permission to be a jerk. But there are, just because we can't get along with everyone and conflicts, misunderstandings, and disagreements happen, I'm not trying to give anyone permission to cut people off or be a jerk. See, this is something that is concerning me. Our culture is so divided. Our culture is so divided. And it's not just divided outside of the church. It's divided inside the church. One term that's being used is we're the cancel culture. You don't like that? I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to ghost you. Is that what God wants for us as believers? That type of action is not acceptable. However, going back to my statement, how do you get along with everyone? You can't. It's okay with God if we have done what we can and what love requires of us. There's another myth. This one's not in your notes. I came up with this one after the note sheet was printed. There is also a myth that other people believe, or they behave like they believe this. As long as I have been born again, it doesn't matter how I treat others, even other believers. My eternity is secure, so I can treat people any way I choose. Look at 1 John chapter 4 says, if someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Cancel culture, ghosting, division within the body of Christ is not God's will. Conflicts, difficulties, misunderstandings, those happen. But they still do not separate us from our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have two purposes this morning. My first is this. And I'm not sure who this applies to. I knew it applied to me. It applied to Maxine. It may apply to some of you who are watching online as well as people in the building. My first purpose is this. To remove guilt from some of you who struggle with working incredibly hard to please everyone, to get along with everyone, and then to feel guilty when you fail. That's my first purpose. I want to show you that once you have done what God asks you to do, you don't have to feel guilty if you can't get along with some people. And my second purpose is this, is to help us see what is required in getting along with people, believers and unbelievers alike. So this is my second purpose, to help each of us see what is required of us in getting along with people, believers and unbelievers alike. Now, if I was sitting where you're sitting, actually, if I was sitting over here and somebody was preaching this as a guest here in the church, for my thoughts would be, um, Pastor Rick, are you sure that it's okay to not get along with everyone? Are you sure? Is there anything in the Bible that would kind of help me to understand that it's okay with God if I don't get along with everyone? Well, yeah, I'm going to take you to a place in the Bible, and it's going to involve the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was the one who wrote a majority of the uh, uh, letters of our New Testament, and this is what he said. 
to believers that we're to love one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another, get along with one another. And he went on. There's all these one another passages. The Apostle Paul wrote significantly about how we, as believers, are to relate one to another. Yet there's an incident in his life that is worth looking at and looking at how he handled it. This morning, our text is going to be Acts 15. We're going to get there in a little bit. But before we can go to Acts 15, I need to take you through a brief um, outline of Paul's life. We meet him in Acts chapter 8, and at this point, he is called Saul. Many people in the Bible had two names, Saul and Paul. Simon was also Peter. Peter was called Simon. Sometimes they called him Simon Peter. So in this message, I'm going to refer to him as both Saul and Paul. Saul was a Pharisee. He was a, a Jew that had been educated. He was a religious leader, and he was a persecutor of the early church. He made it his mission to stamp out what was then the ecclesia, which is the word in the Bible for the gathering of believers, we call it the church. He made it his goal to do that. He would arrest individuals. He would take them to jail. He was actually there when Stephen was stoned. He actually viewed the stoning and he approved of the fact that Stephen was killed for his faith. He was a persecutor of those who followed Jesus not only was he a persecutor, but he had permission from the Jewish leaders and from the high priest to arrest any who followed Jesus, to bring them to jail. Some of them would lose their life. That was Paul's mission. And on one of the times when he was on a mission, he was going from Jerusalem to a city by the name of Damascus. He's on the road, he gets close to the city of Damascus, and he has an encounter that was totally unexpected. In fact, his heart was filled with threats, and his heart was filled with a longing to go to Damascus and find as many followers of the way or followers of Jesus Christ he could, men and women, it didn't matter. He was going to arrest them all, bring them back to Jerusalem in chains, and they were going to be tried for their faith. He's on the road, he's riding a horse, the Bible tells us that, and something takes place. A bright light from heaven shines down on him. It is so powerful that he is knocked off his horse, he lays on the ground, and a voice begins to talk to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Our Lord Jesus Christ appears to this man who has been persecuting his church, arresting others. He's been approving of the martyrdom of Stephen. He's knocked off his horse, and the Lord speaks to him, you're to go into the city, and I will tell you what I'm going to have for you to do. When Paul gets up from the ground, he's blind. He cannot see. The men that were traveling with him who heard the voice but didn't see Jesus lead him into the city. And he spends several days. Now, I can't go into all that's a part of this powerful conversion. I just encourage you, uh, read the New Testament for yourself. Read the book of Acts. It's tremendous to hear how God used this man by the name of Saul. Saul's experience is so powerful that he immediately, upon regaining his sight, being water baptized, 
he immediately starts preaching in Damascus that Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah. You need to follow Jesus. And he's preaching amongst the Jews. Now, this was the man who just out really three days before was planning on arresting Jews, planning on putting them into chains, planning on hauling them off to jail, is now preaching about this one called Jesus. The leaders in Damascus don't like that, so they try to kill Paul. They try to assassinate him. Luckily, word gets out. He escapes from the city. He is actually lowered by a basket outside the wall of the city, and uh, he gets out of town. But since he's had such a powerful experience, he decides the best place for him to go is to go back to Jerusalem. Back to Jerusalem and, and begin to meet the believers that are there. Back to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. So Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and he tries to um, get in an audience with the apostles. So he's out talking to believers, and nobody trusts him. Nobody believes him. Nobody believes that he's had a powerful experience with Jesus Christ. They think he may be trying to find out who the believers are to arrest them. But Paul really did have an experience. In Jerusalem was a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. It was his nickname. His actual name was Joseph. Again, many in the Bible had two names. But he was called Barnabas throughout the, virtually the whole of the New Testament. He hears about Paul, and he starts searching through the city until he finds Paul. Wherever he found Paul, he conversed with him, and Barnabas takes Paul to meet the apostles. Those that were the followers of Jesus that were still in the city. And Barnabas says, listen to this man's story. He has had a real encounter with our Lord. And so Paul shares his story with the believers in Jerusalem. He shares his story with the apostles. He tells them how Jesus appeared to him on the road, how Jesus knocked him off his horse, how he was blinded, how he was prayed for and regained his sight. And they accept Paul. And now Paul starts preaching in Jerusalem that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who just days before had the authority of the chief priest to go and arrest believers is now one himself and preaching in Jerusalem. Well, this causes somewhat of a stir, a big stir amongst the Jewish leaders, and they decide that the best thing for them to do is to kill Paul. And so again, a plot is uh, out there for his life, and Paul has to escape. He escapes from the city, and he goes back to his hometown of Tarsus. And while he is there, several years now pass. In this intervening time, Gentiles begin to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Originally, it was only the Jews. Now Gentiles are accepting. The first were uh, Cornelius and his household. Peter preached to them. But now as the gospel is going out all over that area, more and more Gentiles are hearing about this Jesus, and they're accepting him as Lord and Savior also. And in one particular town by the name of Antioch, there's a powerful move of God amongst Gentile believers. And so the church in Jerusalem sends the man, Barnabas, to go check it out. Is this real? What's taking place? Barnabas 
gets to Antioch and finds that this is a real powerful move of God that is taking place. And Barnabas says, I'm going to need some help to teach these new believers, to pastor these new believers, to help these new believers come to a realization as to who Jesus really is. And he says, I know somebody that would be incredibly helpful. Barnabas goes to Tarsus and looks for Paul. Takes him a while, he finds Paul in Tarsus, and the two of them go back to Antioch, and they begin teaching and preaching, and they spend a year together ministering to the church there at Antioch. They are then sent by the church in Antioch to preach in areas that have not heard. It's called Paul's first missionary journey. On this team are Barnabas, Saul or Paul, and a young man by the name of John Mark. They set out to begin to take the message of Jesus to the surrounding area. And they have a very effective and very powerful ministry trip. They confront the demon-possessed, and they're delivered. Demons are cast out. They heal the sick. They do miracles. God blesses their ministry and blesses their preaching, and people come to know Jesus. But a few weeks into the trip, something happens. And the man, John Mark, who was actually a nephew, or excuse me, a cousin of Barnabas's, this is Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, he was a younger man who was there to assist Paul and Barnabas in the work that they were to do. This young man, for whatever reason, decides to leave and return to Jerusalem, so he leaves Paul and Barnabas to do the work themselves, and they do. They continue to travel. They continue to preach. They would go into a town and preach in the Jewish synagogue, and oftentimes they would get criticism by the Jewish leaders there. And so they started to minister to Gentile believers. And over the time that they are gone, lots of people get saved. They were run out of town more than once. In one town, the opposition to the ministry of Paul and Barnabas is so strong that Paul gets stoned. Now, he's not trying to make himself feel better. This is not recreational stoning. This is the biblical type of stoning. He literally is stoned. They pick up stones and they hurl them at Paul to the point that so many stones hit him and the injuries are so severe that those who stoned Paul left him for dead on the side of the road. That's the kind of opposition they received. Of course, the Lord wasn't done with Paul. While other believers are surrounding him thinking, what are we going to do now? Paul gets up, walks back into town. The Lord heals him, possibly even raises him from the dead. I won't get into all of the theology about that, but it's fascinating. Paul gets back up, goes into town. They continue their ministry. They're starting churches. They're appointing pastors and elders. And finally, they return to where they started, the city of Antioch, to report back to the sending church. And while in Antioch, they helped the early church throughout that region work through the controversy as what is necessary for a Gentile to be saved. They make a trip to Jerusalem. They make a trip back to Antioch. So it's like, wow, you spent a whole long time giving us this outline, this context. It's very important for what I'm going to tell you next. Because I want you to understand what a powerful team 
Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul were. They were a powerful ministry team. They were partnered together. God used them tremendously. But then something takes place in Acts chapter 15 that is surprising in the life of this apostle, that is surprising in the life of Barnabas, who was so influential in Paul's life, especially the early years. So coming up on the screen, if you'd like to find it in your own Bibles, it's Acts chapter 15, and we're going to pick up in verse 36. Paul's first missionary journey is done. He's been partnering with Barnabas for several years now. Much has taken place, but here's what takes place. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. And Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Remember the young cousin? But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Now look what verse 39 says. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed from Cyprus, or sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. The New Living Translation translates it this way, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. The Greek actually means that Barnabas persisted in wanting to take John Mark. Barnabas was insisting, no, we need to take John Mark. He's probably saying, we need to give this guy another chance. And Paul was equally as persistent, no, he can't be trusted. He deserted us once before. I don't want to have him on the team with us. It says that this was such a strong disagreement that it says it was a sharp disagreement that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark. Paul took Silas, and they went different ways. There's no attempt at compromise. They didn't attempt to call the church to intervene. They separated. And the Bible leaves it at that. No comment as to who was right but two teams went out. Here's what's fascinating about this passage. Barnabas and Paul, this incredible ministry team, could no longer work together. A lot of speculation as to what happened. Paul seemed to be getting more um, uh, visibility. He was the primary speaker now and not Barnabas. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement, so he was probably one who was a softer personality, wanted people to feel good about themselves, wanted to give people a second chance. Paul could be pretty straightforward. He could be very dogmatic. He knew what he needed, and he was going to get it and just didn't need any dead weight like John Mark hanging around him. We don't know exactly why, but they separated Two men, respected men, leaders, separated over a disagreement over John Mark. And what does the Bible say about it? Not a thing. Doesn't say which was right, which was wrong. The book of Acts goes on and continues to follow Paul's ministry, but Barnabas does reappear, and we'll look at that. But they went their separate ways. And that's why I come to the conclusion that there are times 
when we can't get along with everybody. And it's okay with God. Because conflicts and misunderstandings can happen. They are part of life. But to help give just a little bit of context, and I'm going to give you a verse of Scripture in just a moment that has helped me more in this relational area than virtually any other passage of Scripture, helping me to understand how I can get along with as many people as possible, because I know I can't get along with everyone, but how I can get along with as many people as possible. And this was also written by the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's the one who has the, all the one another passages, where to love one another, be devoted to one another, serve one another. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. This is the New International Version of that verse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. His first words are, if it is possible, which means it's not always possible. Or it wouldn't be stated this way. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And this verse is very important for answering both sides of the question, both of the things I hope to communicate this morning. I've had this in my notes for a long time. It's a little poem. I don't know where I picked it up. I don't know who to give credit to, but it says this. To live above with saints in heaven, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints on earth, now that's a different story. As much as it depends on you. As much as it depends on you. So first of all, it's, it's put in our court. As much as it depends on you, and honestly, a lot depends on you and I, but everything does not depend on you and I. You may find yourself in situations with believers and non-believers where there are real differences, real conflicts, real diversity of opinion. What should you do about it then? Well, what depends on me or what depends on you? And so that's where we're going to go now to some very practical aspects of this teaching. In your notes, when you are in a situation where there are differences, conflicts, and diversity of opinion, what should you do? Number one, agree to disagree agreeably. Agree to disagree agreeably. The second thing is to love them. The command to love does not change even if we can't necessarily get along. The command to love did not change for the man that I couldn't work with on my team. I loved him. He just, we just couldn't work together on this team, but I loved him, and I kept a relationship with him as much as I could. We need to forgive them. If they wronged us in some way, we need to forgive them. We need to agree to disagree agreeably. We need to love them. We need to forgive them. You see, if you're an extrovert and you just love people and you love to have fun and you, are, you have some people that are introverted and they get together in a small group and they talk about deep philosophical issues and all you want to do is play, I don't think the two of you are going to get along that well. And it's okay. Because they're probably not going to be happy with you interrupting their deep philosophical discussion as you tell your newest joke. And you're going to be bored stiff 
amongst a bunch of introverts who want to talk about deep philosophical things. God made us different. God created us in different ways. He loves diversity. I love the diversity in the body of Christ, but I also recognize that because of that diversity, there will be some people that I'm not going to have a deep relationship with. That doesn't mean I'm not going to love them. That's not doesn't mean I'm not going to appreciate them, but we're going to disagree on some things. Right now, when it comes to politics, when it comes to some social issues, there are people, possibly even in this church, I'm, I'm sure in this church, you're over there and somebody else is over there. What do you need to do? You need to agree to disagree agreeably. In our family, in our extended family, we have very different political views represented throughout the family. We have some very, very, very strong Democrats. We have some others over here that are incredibly strong Republicans. And they all passionately love Jesus. You say, no, that can't be. You can't passionately love Jesus and be there or be there. Yes, you can. No, 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 no. If they, if they would only see it my way, then... Listen. There will always be differences of opinion. I hope that the two of you or our family members, and we work very hard to do this, we sit in the same room, we have meals together, we enjoy each other. Sometimes we don't allow politics to enter into the discussion. But I know these family members, and I know they love Jesus. I've watched them powerfully minister in the name of the Lord. And I know the other family members who politically lean the other direction, love Jesus passionately, and powerfully minister in the name of the Lord. In the Bible, the Jews and the Greeks, or the Jews and the Gentiles, they were very different, but they passionately, powerfully loved the Lord, and the Lord worked through both groups. So how do we, how do we deal with that? We agree to disagree agreeably. We love them. We forgive them. Number four, we ask for forgiveness. If we've wronged someone, we need to seek forgiveness. We need to pray for them. They disagree or there's been a, a misunderstanding. You, like Paul and, and Barnabas, you need to split. Uh, you can't work together. Well, pray for their success. Pray that the Lord will bless them, even though the two of you can't work together. And then work to accept them for who they are. They are different. They see things different. They grew up differently than you did. They see things from a different perspective. Not everyone is like you. Not everyone will believe the same way you do. Not everyone votes the way that you do. Not everyone raises their kids the same way as you do. And we can all love the same Lord Jesus. And we are all passionately loved by our Lord Jesus. So... Remember, as much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, so you agree to disagree agreeably, you love them, you forgive them, you ask for forgiveness, you pray for them, you work to accept them for who they are. Number seven and number eight. Number seven, stop living under guilt. Ultimately, I hope that some people will find some freedom today 
and they will stop living under the guilt of trying to get everyone to get along or to like them. And then pray for yourself. We've prayed for others, but pray for yourself. Here's some suggestions. Pray to be better at loving others the way Jesus loves them. Pray for the Holy Spirit to help you stop living under guilt, the guilt of failing to get along with everyone. Some of you, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm meddling here, okay? You're, maybe you're at home, I'm meddling. Pray that you would stop being a jerk with some people that have a difference of opinion with you politically, culturally, or on issues that you and they believe in passionately. Pray that you'd stop being a jerk. Not only in person, but on social media. Let's go there too. Jesus said, and it's as true in his day as it is today, Jesus said they will know, meaning the world will know, that we are his followers by our love one for another. I think they'll know we're his followers by the fact that we are very different, yet we do these things. We agree to disagree agreeably. We love them. We pray for them. We forgive them. We ask for forgiveness. Paul and Barnabas, John Mark, the three names that were part of our story, what happened to them? Did they ever make up? Well, let me take you to a few passages of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to uh, teach them and exhort them about how the church is to relate to those who minister amongst them. And Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 9 6. This will not be on the screen. Let me just read it to you. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? Is it only Barnabas and I? No, they're not partners now. They're not working together now. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians long after they broke up. But he says, is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support each other? He knew what was going on. Barnabas is still preaching. Barnabas is still ministering to churches. Barnabas is still working for the Lord. And Paul, in a very small way here, is affirming Barnabas' ministry. Then years later, Paul writes this about John Mark. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul's in jail where he's writing this, and he says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Paul now has some type of a relationship with this man by the name of Mark or John Mark. John Mark is there. He's not in prison with Paul, but he's been there, and Mark is sending a greeting. In Philemon chapter 1, verses 23-24, Paul writes this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, again, Paul is, or Paul is letting them know he's still, he's still arrested, he's still in jail. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Now listen to what he says, my co-workers. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. 2 Timothy is the last book penned by Paul in the New Testament. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that he's probably dying soon. He says, the time of my departure 
is at hand. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Some of you have quoted that. This is, these are Paul's words just before his death. Look what he says, and this is coming up on the screen now. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you. He's encouraging Timothy to come because there's some things that Paul needs. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. This young man who was the cause of the division is now a co-worker and a helper to Paul in his ministry. Why? Personally, I believe that Paul and Barnabas, even though they had a disagreement that was so sharp that they separated, I believe did the things I suggested. They agreed to disagree on Mark agreeably. And the time he spent with Barnabas must have been very formative for John Mark because now, towards the end of Paul's life, he's useful to the apostle Paul. I believe they forgave each other, and maybe they even sought forgiveness. I'm going to suspect that Mark, at some point, when he saw Paul, said, you know, Paul, I really, I really screwed up. I should have stayed with you, but I didn't. I, I just suspect that Mark asked Paul for forgiveness. I don't know that Barnabas and Paul sought each other's forgiveness because really neither of them did anything wrong. They weren't harmed. They just realized they couldn't work together any longer, and so they separated. I expect that they prayed for each other for the work that the others were doing. That was within Paul's personality. He prayed for lots of churches. Barnabas probably did the same. I think they both realized that working together was not best. And Paul accepted Barnabas for who he was and how he ministered as Barnabas accepted Paul for who he was and how he ministered. And I think that if they had any guilt at their split up, at their separation, that they worked through that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is all speculation on my part. It's speculation. But I imagine something like this happened, and I share it with you because, going back to my purposes, I want each of you to walk in relationship with others properly. For the one who feels guilt at not everything working out in a relationship, if you feel guilt that not everything is working out in a relationship, my desire is that you would be free from that guilt. Do what you can, then be at peace. And for you who just write off others, for you who ghost others, for you who cancel others, do all that you can to have a relationship with those who disagree with you and you disagree with them. Romans 12, 18 again. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. My heart this morning is I want each of us to follow the command of the Bible that we would work to live at peace with everyone. It's not easy going through that whole list. If you read uh, all of Romans 12, and it talks about how we're to interrelate one with another, right? In, in doing all of my study and research for this, uh, sometime here in the future, I'm going to just teach the entire chapter of Romans 12 or a good portion of it because it really tells us how we're to live with one another. I want each of us to follow the command of the Bible that we would work to live at peace with everyone, 
But then I want each of us, after we have done what we can do. Now, hear me. Just, I'm winding down. Don't, don't tune me out yet. Don't get your purse ready or, 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 or close your device or whatever you're doing. Hear me. After you've done that, I want you to live at peace with yourself. As long as there is a tearing in your heart of guilt that somehow you have failed. Now, if it's the Holy Spirit convicting you to make something right, to ask for forgiveness, that's different. But too many people live under false guilt based on a myth that we're supposed to get along with everyone. No matter how different we are in personality, no matter how different we are on the political spectrum, no matter how different we are on other cultural issues, that we've got to get along with everyone. In one sense, we do, but that doesn't mean we're going to be best friends. It doesn't mean that we always work together. Personalities are different. Ways of doing things are different. I can be difficult to work with, okay? That's probably why that one guy had such a difficult time and tried to lighten things up because, man, when I get intense... At the same time, I get a lot accomplished. And a lot of people who work on my teams, we get a lot accomplished. But for this particular individual, we got less accomplished, but um, he had a good time in helping us to get less accomplished. But my desire is I want each of us, after we have done what we can do, to live at peace with ourselves. Remember Maxine? It was difficult for her, but she finally was able to come out from under guilt and find peace. And I also found peace in understanding that I didn't have to use this man on my team. It was okay. And I could enjoy him in other settings and not work with him. And it was okay with God. How do we get along with everyone? You can't. And that's okay with God. If you have done what you can and what love Requires. Would you bow your heads? The team is going to return to the platform. Lord, I appreciate that you captured in the scripture this disagreement that Barnabas and Paul had that was so sharp in the disagreement that they separated because it gave me understanding that there are times where I just have to let some relationships be. I'm not going to hate the person. I'm not going to get back at the person. But I don't have to work with them. Or that there are other relationships that we work so hard to have with someone that if it's not working, as long as we have done our part, as much as depends on us to live at peace with others, then may we be able to live at peace with ourselves. Father, I pray for those in the room right now. Some who may be dealing with guilt, they have tried so hard and they have felt for so long that they were failing you in not being able to get along with a family member or a co-worker. When all it is is a, a personality difference, when all it is is a difference of opinion, Lord, may they be released from guilt in the name of Jesus. False guilt right now, I come against you in Jesus' name. And I pray that they not only live at peace with these individuals after they've done all they could, but 
they would have peace with themselves. I pray for the other, the, the man and the woman of passion. They believe passionately in their political party and their political candidates. They believe passionately about cultural issues. But Lord, sometimes in their passion, they separate themselves from others who think otherwise, who disagree with them. I pray that these individuals would also follow what the Word of God says, that as much as it depends on us, if it's all possible, that they could live at peace with those that they disagree with, especially in the household of God, where we're all believers and we're all Christ followers. Lord Jesus, and may that individual also, when they have done all that they could do, may they live at peace with themselves also. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired it. Thank you that it is still living and active and it is speaking to our hearts today. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.